if you don't shape a narrative, people will make it up for you. And I think that's a good example of um, how I conduct myself in the community is like, you have to shape the narrative or people don't leave any room yeah. for question, right? Like if the room you're for question that you're leaving, it must be intentional. You have to intentionally leave that space because otherwise people might shift it and take it and, and interpret it differently. Welcome to Replay, the show that invites you to join us at the game table. I'm your host, Clara Mount. On Replay, we're building a more inclusive community by creating a space for underrepresented gamers and their allies to share their voice. We'll tell stories about our experiences and provide new perspectives that challenge our community to think differently about who we are and what we do. Replay is a Victor Media Group original. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Today's guest is Trey Joyner. His day job is as a transportation planner for the city of Minneapolis, but in his off time, he's been working on this project that definitely caught my attention. Uh, Trey is the writer slash creator of a supplement to the Lancer tabletop RPG. So his supplement is called a field guide to Mfakane. Did I say that right? Ooh. I've been practicing. Can you tell? Yes. 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 Right. See a little little cash up tip right there. Hell yeah! Uh, and and it so this is an Afrofuturist expansion. That's why I needed help with the pronunciation for anyone listening out there. Um, it's an Afrofuturist expansion for this Lancer tabletop setting. So we're gonna hear a lot more about that in a moment. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, first I just want to welcome you to replay. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Claire. I I, I am honored to be here. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm a fan of the fan of the show um, and a number of numbers other things that coming out of your household. Um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, glad to be here. Awesome. Um, so you know our first segment because you've heard it a million times. We're just gonna jump right in talking about games and why we fucking love them, right? So totes, totes. First up, what's the number one reason that people should care about games? Um, I think the number one reason. Um, is for me, um, games have a, I think, a unique ability to, and I think particularly from the perspective of, of, of someone who's black, uh, mm-hmm. they have a unique ability to, to provide escapism, um, but also mm-hmm. um, allow a person to envision uh, a kind of a, a better future, um, better than the circumstances that we find ourselves in, um, I think, in regard to America, um, and if anyone out there is from the South, like myself, uh, you know, the South was kind of troublesome. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, playing games in the context of someone from the South, too, like there's a lot that games allow you to do as far as exp- expressing yourself, exploring mm-hmm. your imagination. Um, and also just um, if, you, if you're into writing or if you're into like, you know, creative thinking or creative writing or whatever it is, it allows a, a bit of a teaching experience for you to kind of uh, dabble and and. It, enhance your skills around writing too. Mm-hmm. I know for me that it, it has uh, has definitely helped me write better, I would say. So yeah. That makes a important. lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think that's really relatable. Like anyone can relate to the need to express themselves better, right? And it, it yeah, they do. They give you like sort of like a framework or like a setting where you can do that safely. So that that's awesome. Exactly. So I'm really curious about this one, but what was your first introduction to gaming? 
Um, <laughs> it's a funny story here. Okay, so I'll, I'll speak uh, in respect to like tabletop gaming, right? Like, yeah, you know, as a kid, I, I played Dreamcast and all the all the other game systems out there, Power Rangers on Sega Genesis, yada yada yada. Hell but uh, yeah. so, but but for tabletop gaming, um, I got into it four or so years ago um, when I was doing AmeriCorps in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, great place, go visit it. Um, <laughs> but one of my uh, best friends in AmeriCorps. Uh, he answered a Craigslist ad from a uh, a person who a person who was a chef at a restaurant we like to go to, and um, the Craigslist ad something said something to the effect of uh, here at the Players Tavern we host games and we, we it's a full course experience. But it was like kind of like sketchy the the, the ad it was <laughs> on like, a Craigslist. Yeah, on Craigslist. <laughs> and so my friend uh, he was like, "Yo, Dre, like, do you want to come play this game with me?" I'm like. No, I don't feel what the fuck is wrong with you. <laughs> he was like, no, trust me, trust me. It's going to be fun. I was like, well, where'd you find out about it? He was like, on Craigslist. I was like, I'm going to die. Like, I bring a dagger. Like, what do I need to bring with me? Um, and he was like, I was like, well, you know, what game are we playing? He was like, yo, we're playing like D&D. I was like, what? I had no, no prior exposure to D&D. I knew of it, but no prior exposure to it. So um, wow. anyways, we answered the ad. Well, he answered the ad and we showed up. And this dude has his whole top floor of his house oriented for D&D. It's got this long ass table, five screens up. He's got a full course meal on the table. And I was just like blown away. Wow. I was like, what is all this amazingness? And um, got into making a character and, and to storytelling. And like we played for, I think, four hours. And I went home and, and spent the rest of the night writing up like stories for my character. So um, yeah, a Craigslist ad, a Craigslist ad. That's how I got that's into it. That's so crazy. Like I, I've seen, I've seen those ads, like people do flyers or people will post on like Reddit, like the local Reddit or like yeah, whatever, yeah. but I've never seen Craigslist for it. That is a new level. This was a level of sketch, right? Like I would appreciate <laughs> a, a Reddit ad. I would have even appreciated like a Facebook ad, but this was like, you know, Reddit level, not Reddit, but, like uh, <laughs> Craigslist, like it was just dark webs to me that was like dark <laughs> webs type shit so i didn't know what i was expecting but uh fortunately i ended up um not dying and, and really liking tabletop. did you keep playing with the same guy yeah i did we kept playing for about a year or so um and uh after a year of playing i uh i realized i liked telling my stories better because <laughs> he, he yeah because he had good stories was, he was uh this southeast asian dude and he had like, you know, kind of stories that were centric to his um, experiences in life. Um, mm -hmm. Not so much to like Southeast Asia or anything or the, the history there or the culture there. Yeah. Um, but I was like, why, why is everything like so like European centric? Like I just, I kind of got fed up with like all that, all that European centric yeah. stuff. I was like, I want to do my own thing. And so that's where I started DMing and then I never looked back. I just DM'd forever after that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or GM, GM, yeah. Did you stay in D&D &D then for a while or like, did you move on? Cause I, obviously I met you through Lancer, which is a totally different community. So yeah. Um, I totally different community. Um, <laughs> I stayed in D and D for about a year after that. I think, um, I, I ran it the last thing, my last day playing D and D was for my uh, other friend in AmeriCorps, um, uh, who we were, we were roommates at the time, mm -hmm. but, uh, he had a, he had a, a big drug addiction, but oh. <laughs> it, was, it was like a good drug addiction. It wasn't like a bad one, but um, we played one day and 
my neighbor's apartment, but with my, my, my roommate and my neighbor's uh, roommate. So it was like four of us in total. And I was DMing. Mm -hmm. I made this whole story, but uh, they started like doing drugs at the table. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to play this anymore. <laughs> like, this oh no. <laughs> yeah. They got way too into it. Like my, my roommate and my friend, he, he made a character that was like, that like also liked to partake in drugs. And, oh, uh, no. <laughs> you know, it wasn't weed. This was something else. And uh, I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. Like, I don't want to do D&D I've had enough D&D. &D. <laughs> exactly. For the century, we're going <laughs> to. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, I think that was my last time playing. And then after that, I <clears throat> tried to do some Avatar The Last Airbender stuff. Um, it was like a, Interesting. it was like a supplement to d and I think, or a homebrew supplement there. And then that wasn't really my liking. <clears throat> and then, um. After that, I went to Genesis and I played that for like two or three years. Um, and that was I've heard Genesis is good. I've never played it myself though. Yeah, it's uh, it's really big on the narrative stuff, mm -hmm. um, less on like the mechanics and like the writing and all and like, well, yeah, the mechanics and stuff. And I liked it better because it was an open slate that you could explore anything. And yeah. I, at that time I had so many That's stories. That's what you needed, head. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just, I went hard. I went hard on Genesis for a while and um, yeah, then I, I, I ended up moving to Minneapolis and apparently, apparently Fantasy Flight Games, the people who produce Genesis, are mm -hmm. based here. And so I ran games at their, uh, their not really their headquarters, but I think it's their headquarters. I think it's Asmodee's headquarters, people who own oh. Genesis. But yeah, I ran, I ran games up there and then I, I, I went real deep and then I think I explored everything I needed to explore in the system. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, um, so now what would you say are your favorite kinds of games? Um... Favorite kinds of games, I think truthfully, any games that uh, that center black people. <laughs> those are, those are my sense. favorite. Those are my, <laughs> those are my favorite kind of game. I mean, like you can learn a lot from other games that don't do that, but um, mm -hmm. I, I think games that I can see myself in um, most interest me. And that even like re refers to like, you know, video games too. Yeah. Like, on Apex Legends, I only play Bangalore. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I just like I want to play with the blackers. Like, let, why can't I just only play with this person? And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So like indie games are like that. They kind of focus on that. But um, uh, unfortunately, like those games are few and far between. So yeah, um, that's definitely going to talk more about that later. Um, so my <laughs> my next question, I already told you, is my favorite question. Can you tell me, please, about a gaming experience that was really like personally significant for you and why it was significant? Um, let me see. Let me see. Yeah, there's this um, in between my transition from D&D &D to Genesis, I played Star Wars for a lot. It was like <gasps> also produced by Hell yeah. Games. Hell yeah. yeah. Edge of the Empire. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was Edge of the Empire and Force and Destiny kind of. And Force. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, but. Like for a lot of reasons, uh, Star Wars is a great medium to explore a lot of um, um, concepts disassociated with Europe, like European literature and this like mm -hmm. European culture. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, like, you know, this is established setting. It's not a lot of work. I can also like express myself in the setting and, and GM and feel pretty comfortable with it being in line with the lore of, uh, mm -hmm. of the setting. And so, yeah, I deemed that for... Um, four good friends in Knoxville. Um, but um, two of my good friends were, were married. Um, they had just had a kid and um, they spent so much time with me out of the game, crafting their characters relationship. So 
the oh. wife and the husband, they like crafted their characters. Like we, I spent more time talking with them and walking and learning about them, becoming better friends with them, just like walking around the block, talking about their characters and Aww. talking about what they would do. Um, and um, after like maybe maybe half a year playing, it, it came to the kind of culmination, all that kind of friendship and, and conversation and playing came to a culmination mm-hmm. during one session um, where the, the husband in the relationship um, revealed to the wife that his character was her father, which is like interesting, what? but they cried. At the, yeah, I know. It was, like, <laughs> it was like some weird, like, oh, like my character's a drone and his head, his brain was was taken from his dead body or whatever. But um, when we were playing, when we were playing, um, they both like broke out in tears. It was just like a, a really strange feeling for me. And then I started crying too. And I was like, what's going on with my, my body? <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. It's like I got sh- like shivers and shrills up my up my spine, and it was just like a really. It was like the culmination of all all of our our playing for that for that point, and that was like a really treasured experience because I feel like they became a little bit closer together, and also like you know it's it's you see friends kind of you know having fun and enjoying themselves, and so yeah, it was great. It was a great experience, and I think that submitted my my time as a DM for sure. <laughs> do you do that a lot, like helping people? craft their stories around no, their characters never <laughs> never never amazing never never it's These are just really probably because you'd be you'd cry every time so it's fine uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> i don't have that many tears in my face oh that's I so wonderful don't. i love stories like that about people coming you know games really do bring people together in ways that you don't expect that's one of do. them <laughs> mm-hmm. they definitely do yeah that was like a, a very i'll remember that for the rest of my life because it was like a really good experience so um um I think the the I'm always looking for that next experience though, but I'm not willing to put in the, enough effort to get to that <laughs> point. That's a lot of talking. That's a lot of a lot of conversations. Um, so that kind of takes me to another point. So you've had you've had a journey with games, especially with tabletop games. It sounds like. So what sure. what would you say that gaming really means to you, like on an emotional level? Um, I think, uh, uh, I think there was a milestone, uh, last year, I think games began to mean something different for me, um, (laughs) as opposed to like prior to that, prior to that, it was just like me, like exploring my, my creativity and getting a lot of thoughts out of my head and just being an outlet uh, in a lot of ways. But, um, after last year or during last year, you know, I live here in Minneapolis. Um, there's a lot of things that, um, went on of, of course, right. Mm -hmm. George Floyd, and the uprising and stuff. And um, I had actually um, went to, I went to a lot of the protests here um, and I went to one on one of the um, more primary bridges here in Minneapolis. And uh, it was about, about 300, 400 people. Um, but there's this, um, I was on one side of the highway, the highway was closed down. And mm-hmm. this, tr- like all of us heard this, like the sound way off in the distance. It was like, like a really large, like foghorn. Yeah. Um, and we were like, for as far as we could see, like the, the roads are closed, there are no cars there. Um, but the, the foghorn started like coming closer and closer. And we had both the sides of the highway blocked off. And we saw this truck come careening through, like, <sighs> like literally the crowd. And I freaked out. And I turned away, when I turned my head away, I saw like a shoe fly up in the air. And I had to automatically assume like a lot of people had gotten hit. Oh my uh, god! Fortunately, they didn't. No one got hit. Um, oh, thank but god! It was like a very—it was a very jarring experience for me. And then <clears throat> after that, I—I I kind of, you know, was thinking like, you know, what are other ways to protest? Like, what are other ways 
to highlight the systemic issues in our in our community, mm -hmm. um, specifically like you know black folks, um, without you know endangering <laughs> your life, you know, because yeah. um, that's just I don't think that that's not for me um, to kind of put myself in that situation. So completely fair. So um, I think from that point, um, I was continually looking for an outlet. I had a lot of time for myself because it was COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. I was continually looking for an outlet to express that 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 desires for protests and that desires to highlight the these you know systemic issues and mm -hmm. um i think for me games was a good outlet for that it was uh, a good way to write stories um that i felt were important and need to be written um, but also um highlight things that um aren't aren't widely and and, and widely known um and i think in respect to like african culture and literature and the black experience in, in a lot of ways and so for me, that's how that's what games are to me now, uh, at least for what I'm doing with Lancer is to kind of yeah. you know, be that that medium of protest, um, also um, incorporating a lot of my desire for creativity and expression into into something I can I can spend time with on my on my leisure time. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's got to be one of the most like dramatic answers I've ever heard to that question. <laughs> It was so scary. You, you had so me scary. on the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh my god! So I, I'm sitting here like I'm so glad you're still here to do this podcast with me. Like, what? Oh my god! Yeah, it's so scary. Oh and, and unfortunately, the the dude who who driving the truck, he just got let off of prison. Like from, he got let oh. off without any 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 serious jail time. And he said it was an accident, but like, dude, like, come on. That's crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those stories with me already. We're already cooking with some oh, good ideas. Deep. We're getting too deep. Oh, no, too no, deep. not deep enough. We going, we going. Um, <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break. Um, and when we get back, like I promised, we are going to talk more about the field guides in Fakane. And uh, yeah, so just stay tuned. Hey friends, I hope you've been getting some great stuff out of these episodes. If you like what you've heard so far, please check out our merch shop over at victormediagroup.co. Every purchase supports me personally, so I would love it if you cover your shit in my stickers. <laughs> Remember, you can nab a replay merch over at victormediagroup.co. And once again, thanks so much for joining us at the game table. All right, welcome back to Replay. So we're here with Trey Joyner, who's the creator and writer of the Field Guide to Mfakane, um, which is an Afrofuture supplement to the Lancer RPG. Uh, and for my audience out there that doesn't know what Lancer is, um, it's a tabletop RPG that has a lot of like anti-capitalist and anti-colonialist themes to it, which is, um, it's already kind of built into the setting in that way. Um, and just because I love their media kit, I'm going to tell you what their pitch is from the Lancer creators in their media kit. They describe it as a mud and lasers tabletop role-playing game centered on modular mechs and the pilots that crew them. So if you like giant robots and anti-capitalist or anti-colonialist anything, this is an RPG for you. And then we're going to take that one step further with the field guide. <laughs> Yes. Because then we're getting into some Afrofuturist bullshit, and I'm really excited about it. So, nice. so this is my pitch. Can you tell I went to school for marketing? Anyway, so, so great. Trey. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So Trey, um, I, I, I'd like you to tell us about the origins of the field guide. So, like, what made you decide to create it? And yeah, where did it come yeah. from? Yeah, yeah. Started, uh, started step one. Uh, baby steps. Um, yeah. 
So I talked a little bit about my experiences in Genesis. Uh, it's a very blank slate system. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, you know, it, that system requires you to create your own story. And so I think given that kind of blank slate, I was like, well, all right, well, you know, what are all the things that influence me? And what are the things, what are the stories I want to tell? And so I <clears throat> spent a lot of time um, uh, when I was in Knoxville um, uh, working there uh, and not really liking my job, uh, <laughs> spending, my, <laughs> spending my work time writing um, uh, some a somewhat Afrofuturist kind of setting um, mm-hmm. in the Genesis system. And that work required me to do a lot of research um, on one, um, my family history um, from yeah. being from like West Africa. Um, and then also like other African stories that haven't been highlighted. And so I just dove deep on Wikipedia and I dove deep <laughs> on like YouTube videos, just like gathering as much information as I can and trying to honor that information uh, through my writing, uh, my very novice writing. Um, but I think with that, I got a lot of uh, groundwork uh, done yeah. um, for um, what, what I would soon, you know, write the Field Guide to Infokane, which is a focus on South African culture, um, the Zoza, Bantu, and Nguni people in South Africa. Mm-hmm. There's a multiple tribes there, um, or groups of people uh, more so. And um, I was thinking like, uh, well, Lancer, I think in Pacific, um, as you noted, you know, has these very heavy under- undertones about, you know, anti-colonialism and anti-capitalism. Um, and I think that was a great um, nest to start crafting a story that speaks yeah. to that. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, where in my research, in my, in my, my readings in Africa does, you know, does this apply? The short answer is everything. <laughs> everything in Africa. <laughs> it applies to everything in Africa. Um, <clears throat> but I also wanted to think, you know, like what, what, what culture in Africa do I most feel in, intrinsically attached to? Mm-hmm. I think for me, that was um, the stories about Shaka Zulu. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the, some, some would say that the tragedy there too. Um, tragedy in terms of um, how Shaka has been characterized um, over the years um, by uh, European colonists. Mm -hmm. And that characterization, as in most cases, is of a a brilliant war leader, um, Mm -hmm. um, a brilliant leader um, who organized a lot of, organizes people around uh, warfare, um, Mm -hmm. but also someone who's from a European characterization, someone who's had a heavy hand in causing a lot of um, uh, displacement among the people in South Africa. And um, that characterization by that, I would say predominant characterization by um, that by, yeah. by Europeans <coughs> is uh, in, in many ways inaccurate mm-hmm. because um, they attribute um, Shaka as, a, as a, the actor of the Infokane, which is a, a a an event that caused a lot of a lot of a lot of death and a lot of um, displacement of native peoples from South Africa or native tribes, um, but that Shaka wasn't the the primary actor in that. Um, the primary cause of that um, was a number of things. It was uh, the expansion of of the Zulu people as as a people as they grew um, and amalgamated other tribes. It was the introduction of maize, which is like a, a crop, right? Like kind of like yeah. corn. Um, and also, it was most primarily is the introduction of, of European col- Dutch colonists and, and British colonists who mm-hmm. caused a lot of displacement. Um, and that 
carried waves across um, the landscape of South Africa and um, kind of the Southern Africa in general. And so yeah. <clears throat> I, um, through the field guide, I wanted to write this story that recharacterized that and gave it um, uh, the, the act, the, the needed um, reframing, I think that, mm -hmm. that, the, that, that, that really needs to be the, that needs to be seen in. And so not with the, with the context of a, a European, um, you know, colonial, colonial aspect, but like more so from, you know, what was the real benefit of, of Shaka? Shaka built a people literally out of, out of, of mm -hmm. nothing. And this is like in the 1800s. So this is like, you know, pretty modern history, honestly, it's like, like not super far yeah. super long ago. And um, he did a lot of things. He 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 implemented a, a social structure. Implemented um, just created a, a culture in general, um, and did a lot of things for I think for the people. Uh, this is the people who are a, a legit kind of like group of people in South America and South America now. Um, and so I wanted to highlight, you know, what are the things that Shakazula did that weren't about war? Um, yeah. And um, that's I think. That's kind of where the field guide started at is, is like thinking how to highlight Shaka Zulu in that respect and with the intention to combat those European narratives. Mm -hmm. I think it's cool. Like you said, you said reframing. I mean, you're <clears throat> taking you're taking this narrative, this this real life person, but you're taking the story as it was told by like Europeans and you're trying to like push up a story from the actual perspective of like his culture, yeah. right? Like that's yeah. really what you're doing is like yeah yeah and it's, I think it's it's hard too right because like I'm not South African <laughs> um, I yeah I, I don't intend to claim any 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 parts of that culture um, so it's 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 hard to take controversial topics like Infakane and then honor them and then reframe them right like that's a whole process and a and a, a, a tact, tactful process that you mm -hmm. have to conduct yourself in to make sure you you're not like shining a, a poor light on, on the subject. So what, so since you're not from like that South African culture, um, what do you do to make sure that you're honoring that culture <laughs> as um, you're doing it, good, doing your research question. and writing and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I've struggled with that, that question. Um, I think personally too, um, because, uh, I, so I mentioned, um, uh, earlier, uh, one of my inspirations um, in the Afrofuturist tabletop RPG, RPG kind of community was mm -hmm. Swordsfall. So the creator of Swordsfall um, did more of like a, <clears throat> a general <clears throat> Afrofuturist kind of uh, setting where he took a lot of cultures and amalgamated them one, kind of like how Wakanda is. Mm -hmm. uh, then I asked him, I was like, yo, bro, like, like how do you honor these cultures if you're not from them? Because he himself was also African-American. And uh, he was like, just gave me this, the most simple advice I could, I, I, that's like, was enough that, enough for me to hear. And it was um, just come from the soul. So like, come from the soul, like speak from the soul and write from the soul. And that's the best, that's the best you can do. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I will come that from the soul. That is simple. My, I know. Yeah. And I was like, I'll come from the soul and I'll write with good intentions and I'll, I'll make that explicit and I'll make that clear to everyone who reads it, that you can't interpret this in another way like this for me is something that is familiar, but isn't familiar. And mm -hmm. I want to ensure that um, um, highlighting the beauty of it. I think that's a the large <clears throat> kind of overtone of Afrofuturism um, in general too. It's like, it's highlighting a culture that you're tangentially related to, um, 
but for you know reasons of slavery, uh, you're not you don't have a, 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 a supreme connection to. I, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think I think that's something that like even if you're not. Um, like, like, I mean, you're black and you're writing about things that are important to you as a, as a person with that Mm -hmm. culture. And like, like for me, like as a white person, I'm sitting here, like, that's always something that I'm concerned about when I'm creating content too. So it's reassuring to me to know that, like, if your intention's in the right place, that goes far. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think for a large, large part, that's true. Right. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I'm there's sure obviously egregious yeah. things <laughs> exactly. that are wrong. We're not, we're not trying to blackface out oh, here. Oh, like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, the <clears> fact <throat> that you, the fact, I, I think it just, it, it means so much to me that you are going out to other creators and asking them like, okay, how do we make sure we're being respectful? And like, you're having that mm-hmm. conversation. I think that's like so many steps ahead of what most people are talking about normally. <laughs> I don't know how else you could live with yourself if you didn't do that, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I think as people, we need validation a lot of the times, especially when we're stepping on uh, untreaded grounds or mm-hmm. lightly treaded grounds. We want to ensure that those, you know, we're not making the wrong steps, right? So um, giving me, a, giving my my soul a little comfort in, is, is yeah. kind of to other people who've, who've um, spent a lot of time in, the, in, in doing these types of things. I love that. That's awesome. Um, so I know it's so the other thing I wanted to ask you about, you did a ton of research when you were going into this, um, specifically into the Shaka like stories and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So, so how, how did you find, I don't even know how to ask this. How did you find the like not European versions of this story? Like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's a <laughs> good, good question. Right. Like I think it's, I think it's, um, pretty much impossible not not to not find it right mm-hmm. like i think for for reasons of globalization in the world we live in like everything's got a got a connotation of um like european colonialism because you know that's what happened <laughs> back yeah. in the day lots um, of influence so all think, over yeah, yeah yeah so i think it's um a lot of it is 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 diving to as much information as possible and immersing yourself as much as possible so um funny enough i started uh i would say I got a I got a good idea of what I wanted to do after I played the Civilization game. <laughs> <laughs> great, great choice. Because <laughs> like yeah, like you know, Shaka Zulu, while um, while in the Civilization games is most notably recognized for um, uh, his war tactics, because mm-hmm. you know whatever um, <clears throat> he did a lot of other things. Um, but anyways, in in the game, like it just it shines like a light on the culture that almost makes you want to like dive deeper into it to like figure out like, mm. all right, well, what other things did Shaka, like, I know there's other leaders in the game and they're recognized for their cultural gains. Like what cultural gains did Shaka do? Cause those aren't highlighted in the game. And so I uh. used the information that wasn't um, apparent to me in the, in, in mediums like, like Civilization six mm-hmm. and looked on the web. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos, um, read some papers, um, Bought a bought a bought a few papers and, and read them too, just to better oh, wow. understand like you know what what the 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 setting material is about. And I, I think a lot of it <clears throat> a lot of it when I <clears throat> decided to use the <clears throat> term infocane, um, I had to do a lot more research there because that is a, a again it's a highly contested and controversial concept in South mm-hmm. Africa. And I feel like you know I, I made a bold decision to to label it that, but I think 
it, the bold decision was, you know, coming from the soul to, to kind of think about how do I reframe this away from like, you know, what the, that characterization is from you know, uh, European colonialism. Can you talk about what some of that controversy is over the term? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> um, so again, Infocane was this period in South Africa where a lot of people were displaced and a lot of people, um, a lot of lives were lost. Um, and it's, uh, Shaka's largely, and uh, I think in, in popular media and history, given the responsibility of, of causing it. And mm -hmm. as he went through and <clears throat> amalgamated all these tribes into the Zulu, um, he caused a lot of displacement um, and a lot of reverberating warfare um, mm -hmm. across South Africa. And so uh, if you if you listen to your, your, your first article that you'll pop up on Google, it will tell you that, yeah, Shaka caused it. And then uh, he caused other other um, tribes to adopt his tactics and they caused harm to other other tribes. And that that's that's the um, the controversy there. Um, and from what I understand and what I gather, like I haven't spoken to someone from South Africa about it, but like that's from what I understand is that, you know, it's caused a lot of displacement mm -hmm. and a lot of trauma in a lot of um, um, the people, tribes in, in South Africa. So um, that's kind of where that, that controversy controversy is. So the controversy like in South Africa is over like their own perceptions of like this? Um, it's it's their perceptions of Shaka's involvement. Um, oh, his involvement. Yeah, okay. yeah, starting it, yeah. He's largely attributed as the progenitor of it. Mm -hmm. um, but that isn't really the case because there are all these other things going on, right? There's like colonialism and, mm -hmm. and yeah, all these other things going on. So that's the controversy. And apparently, um, in some of the some of the articles are in some of the YouTube videos I watched is like Infakani, um, it's a it's a Dutch African um, word, um, mm -hmm. and it's based loosely based off this other Zulu word, which is mm -hmm. actually an adaptation of Infakani, like. The, the word Infakane and the Zulu adaptation of the word doesn't exist in the um, Zozo or Zulu um, dialect. It's, it's like, people are like, where did this word come from? Like, who's explaining this thing that happened? Like, to us, like, this is just what we do. Like, who's putting this label on it? And um, it's just, it's just like a, it's just like a very, very weird little relationship there. Um, yeah. That's so it's, interesting. It's like very akin to the N word, right? Like it's a word that's popped out of nowhere that is derogatory. And um, I think in a lot of ways, at least now it's been kind of reframed in, to, mm -hmm. into something somewhat positive. Yeah, yeah. It's like when, uh, when like the LGBT <clears throat> movement picked up queer again for the first time, instead of using yeah, it as yeah, a yeah, slur, yeah, yeah. right? Reclaimed totally, it. Totally, yeah. yeah. Yep, that's, oh, exactly, that's, so that's exactly it, yeah. I love that. Um, that's yep. so cool. So why uh, why was it important to you to make sure that um, like this particular event was the one that you were reframing? Like what what was the why that one? <laughs> I know yeah. there's a lot of choices out there that we could have <laughs> yeah. gone into, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, so I think the so let me let me break it down a little bit. So, the inspiration and the source material is 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 drawn from South African history, mm -hmm. but the story I tell in the field guide is one hundred percent an Af the African American story, and it's the story of the, the transatlantic slave trade. And wow. um, so it's like 
why did I choose Infocane is because I think it was a good bridge to make that connection with Africa and those past histories, but also tell a story that's kind of glossed over with this, with this like historical Af African kind of um, context. Um, and so like in the field guide, the, the, the story is that, you know, the, the people uh, on this ship that left earth um, uh, were, um, these, like, they didn't have the ability to buy their own way across the galaxy. And so they, mm -hmm. they lived their lives hundreds and hundreds of years under the subjugation of the people who could afford to, to fund the journey. And these people were, were the downtrodden and they, they worked on the ship and they're essentially slaves yeah. on the ship. Um, but um, the, the turn I make um, is, the, is, is in large part the, the twist that um, is um, kind of what, what birthed the, the country Haiti. It's like mm -hmm. the slaves revolted and they killed their masters and they started their own thing. And that's exactly what I'm telling in the field guide is, you know, the people on the ship, they revolted, they killed their masters and they started their own thing. And um, gotcha. that's, that's really where I, where it's really where I, I, I'm kind of, I, I kind of taken the story. And it's like writing from that African-American kind of perspective. I love that. That's really cool. Um, and then, so you've kind of just hinted at it because now you're talking about the, uh, the narrative that you're writing, right. With the field guide. So, um, mm -hmm. can you just talk to me about like, like, what did you end up with? How would you describe this thing that you've created? <laughs> uh, <whew. laughs> la, la. <laughs> um, how would I describe it? Um, well, I think it's 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 purely a work of Afro Afrofuturism. Um, in large part, the, the themes of Afrofuturism, Afrofuturism is uh, aesthetic, but also it's um, the main concept is reclaiming a past that was stolen from a people. Yeah. And I think in this in the setting, I'm reclaiming the past, i.e., the Zulu culture mm -hmm. that was stolen because of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, mm -hmm. And I think. Um, that's what the, the product is now, is this work of Afrofuturism, but also this work of, of protest, it's something that um, hopefully, I hope, will stand as something that dilutes the pervasive whiteness of tabletop role-playing games. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think a Lancer is a great way to kind of explore that. But yeah, I would say a, a work of Afrofuturism and a work of protest, 100%. I love that. I love that. All right. So on that note, um, we're going to cut to another break real quick. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to hear some advice on where we can go from here. So see you in a moment. So we're back on replay and we're about to hear more from Trey Joyner about Afro futures in tabletop RPGs. So, um, We've just heard a lot about the history of this campaign setting and why it was important to bring that into tabletop games. But um, I have to ask you, so what does it say about either our gaming community or about our society, like larger society, uh, that we haven't been seeing more of these stories? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a doozy, right? Like, yep. Um, She's a big I, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my thoughts on that question, I think, stem from my profession as a transportation planner, mm -hmm. and understanding how the history of how America has grown and developed intentionally through policy, 
-hmm. and uh, what that's left as far as um, people's ability to socialize and expose themselves to different things. You know, in the 60s, there was um, urban renewal, there was white flight from cities, white folks could go wherever the fuck they wanted to go and leave the cities uh, in, in large degree um, to people who didn't have the finances um, or even the freedom um, to live where they wanted to live. You know, there's redlining, there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of stuff, right? So I think with that growth and with that context about how people moved around in America and how cities developed in America, mm -hmm. you get a lot of instances where people can live in bubbles and not be, not be affected by and not be exposed to other people. Yeah. Um, people can drive around in the cars, not have to ride public transit, just don't, aren't exposed to other people and how other people think. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that reflect, that's reflected on the tabletop role-playing game community too. Like, you know, you have the internet and you can interact with who you want to interact with and, you know, but you can't see who those people are. Mm -hmm. um, so that doesn't do its own service to integrate and, and socialize people. And so because mm -hmm. people are living in these bubbles um, they, and they don't have to associate with other people and they can associate with the people that, you know, they feel more comfortable with, I think you get a lot of people who, um, of course, like aren't exposed to these concepts or whether it's Afrofuturism or other concepts that are derived from other cultures. Mm -hmm. And because they're not exposed to it, they don't feel comfortable with it. And because they don't feel comfortable with it, they're not going to dive deep into it because they feel like they're probably um, doing a disservice if they, if they highlight it. And I think um, one of my major criticisms of the Lancer system is that like, there's like, it's straight up like blanket whiteness and Mm -hmm. That was one of the first things I read when when um, I, I noticed when I read the setting. I was like, "Where where are the where are the black stories? Right? Like where are the mm -hmm. the throwbacks to the civil rights? Like where are the throwbacks to these systemic issues that that plague America?" And um, that offended me honestly. And I almost dropped the system because I was like, "Yeah, like it was just like the epitome of white liberalism," and that wrecked me to my soul because. Yeah. From my perspective, um, you told me to get dirty. <laughs> From my perspective, <laughs> I think a lot of the reason, a lot of the things that are wrong with, um, with like free thinking liberal white people mm -hmm. <laughs> is that uh, they like to on the surface expose themselves to things, but not really deep down expose themselves to things. Um, and I think that leads to people feeling uncomfortable and um, not accustomed to exploring these stories because you know they they know of it and they know the importance of having representation in all these stories, but they don't associate themselves to the point where they actually take an active role in putting out information in, in context like that. And so um, that's that's what I think is uh, the the uh, you know me putting out this field guide of what that says about you know the tabletop role playing game or just like uh, society in general. It's like why do I, as a, as a black person, have to be the person to do this? Like, this should be done by everybody. Like, mm -hmm. everyone should feel comfortable writing these stories. Like, I don't feel any, any reservation about writing a, a purely European-centric story because, mm -hmm. like, I'm exposed to that, and I, I know what that means. And, like, to me, like, in large part, that is my culture, right? I'm American. Yeah. But, like, that should also be extended to people who aren't, you know, black or, you know, art or something else, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you should feel comfortable, you know, at least take an active role in promoting those stories. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think, I think uh, the fact that I'm writing this and I had to produce this, I think it really highlights that, you know, our, we have a lot of, way, a lot of ways to go, uh, I think, as mm -hmm. people in, in particular in America. Um, but the other side of that is that, you know, there are a lot of people who try to 
um, take a more active role in, in realizing that disparity um, mm -hmm. and then supporting um, people who are, are going down that route. Take you, for example, um, take the other person in your household, for example, like those are great <laughs> examples of, of, of doing your best to, to highlight that work. And I think we need more of that. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, I think in particular to Lancer, they need more of that. Um, and, um, it's funny too, like when I was, I was writing the field guide and like, I think the first paragraph or second paragraph, I take a hard shit on, on Tom and, and, and Miguel. I mean, yeah. I think, yeah, I, but it's like a very, like, very subtle hard shit. Um, but <laughs> I say, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You can apply sound effects to that. Apply as many sound effects as you want to. But it's Noted. Just like, Telling my it's sound just editor like, right now. <laughs> it's just like, so like in Lancer, they, there's these rings of space that radiate, radiate out from Earth. And mm -hmm. they're all named off mountain peaks. And not one of these motherfucking rings are named at any mountain peaks in Africa. There's one that's Atlas line, which is like in Morocco or whatever, but like Morocco is Africa, but it's like, it's not really black people. Like it's not really like <laughs> black people. I was like, there are millions of beautiful mountains in Africa. Like, why don't you name a place derivative of that? And so in the first paragraph or whatever, I was like, I think, I can't remember the exact quote, but something to the effect of, Old humanity was so loathsome, they didn't think anywhere in their vast knowledge would there ever be a place for essentially Black people. Yeah. I was like, why didn't you write that? You had so much opportunity to write that in there. You're on a, you're writing this setting um, that has like these very aspirational and great concepts, the you know, combating colonialism and, and capitalism. But why do you omit like Black folks, right? Like, mm -hmm. why can't we be in space? Why, why, why? And, was there... Um, I'm just, yeah. I'm so curious because if there weren't black people, were there other people of color, like in the original setting? Yeah. So like, uh, you, know, you got me there. Cause I mean, cause <laughs> like Miguel's Latino, like we know this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got me, you got me there. You got me there. Uh, because they did. Not that that's not an oversight still, obviously, but like. No, I'm yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think, so they did, I think they, um, derived a lot of, um, uh, inspiration from, uh, uh, Indian culture from like India. Um, there's, oh. I think a lot of mechs are named after like, um, uh, gosh, like, uh, can't remember the name, but a lot of the mechs are named after like deities there. Um, okay. And like okay. fauna that you would only find in other countries, not America. So like, I'll give them credit for that. But like, that's India. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what's like, Lancer came out like last year. Uh, and, you know, before that, it's been, it's been, being wrote for many years, I think before that, I don't know exact timeline, but over the last, uh, you know, since year 2000, the, I think the main thing that's been plaguing America is like the, the racial disparities. I was like, mm -hmm. why not include racial disparities somewhere or the, 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 the envisioning a better future um, from like, you know, these, these issues of racial yeah. disparities that we have. And I just, I just like, to me, that was a huge oversight. And I was like, yeah, oh, you weren't satisfied. Yeah, definitely. Definitely wasn't. Definitely wasn't satisfied. Yeah. But it's better than d and I'll tell you that. It's better. Way better than d, &D. <laughs> You know, I find that about a lot of third party systems that are like the smaller people tend to be more willing to tell like alternative stories, I think is the way to, to think about it. So, yeah. um, but then on the flip side of that, they're ten they tend to be a lot smaller audiences, their reach isn't as big. So like yeah. even if more people would like that story, 
it might not reach those people. And so like, there's all these other kind of challenges that come in with it too. But yeah, I yeah. very much agree. Like, oh my God, what you said about like white liberalism. <laughs> if you really don't take the time to get to know the people that you say that you're helping, like you're not really helping them. Period. Exactly. Like exactly. listen to, if, if you say that you're going to pick up a cause, listen to them. They're the expert. So exactly. Ugh. So there, that, that hit me hard when you said that. <laughs> there's this one, I was, uh, I was doing this, um, public meeting for a, a street project that, um, I'm managing. And, mm -hmm. uh, I had this one lady, uh, who says like, she has a, I know what house she lives in. Cause like, I have to know what house she lives in because the street project imp impacts her, how she accesses her house. And I, I went out and looked at the corridor and did some other like research on it. And then I saw her house and she in front of her house, she has like a Black Lives Matter sign. But then I had a conversation with her um, um, about the project. And one of the things about the project is, you know, highlighting the racial disparities in Minneapolis mm -hmm. and taking that as a project goal and implementing that um, through engagement and through um, how we design the street. Um, and also that includes, you know, taking away parking and adding in bike lanes because, you know, a lot of, you know, Black folks here don't have access to vehicles, and you want to design a street that's uh, that's usable by a larger larger um, group of people, not just people who own cars and own houses. Anyways, yeah. on the call, she called me a fascist. She was like, "You're a fascist. Why are you taking my parking? Why are we building stuff for people who walk or people who bike? Like, no one bikes. Everyone owns a car." And I was like, "Lady, you have a Black Lives Matter sign out in front of you. You're oh like, my god! Who do, you, who do you think Black people are? Like, who? Like, you know, yes, some of us drive, but like." In Minneapolis, like the state of Minneapolis or this Minnesota has the worst racial disparities in the nation next to Mississippi, but we don't want to talk about Mississippi. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like people like there's a dissonance and a disconnect there that I just don't understand. Like, how can you promote, but not really do the work to, to understand why you're promoting? So my response to a lot of that is, um, so obviously one of the ways to combat that is to do things like you're doing, share the stories, right? Totally. Yep. Share yep. these stories. Yep. So we need more stories. We need more of these kinds of stories so that people totally. that aren't exposed to these ideas can be exposed to these ideas. Totally. totally. So let's talk about that because that's a positive thing we can talk about. <laughs> How do we... Um, I mean, how do we get more? We need more of these stories. We need more Afrofuture stories. How do we get more of them? Um, do you have advice for maybe other creative people or other writers for creating, like for bringing those stories out? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm only, I mean, I think different strokes for different folks, right? Like people yeah. are going to do what, 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 what makes sense to them and, you know, where their character and their talents lead them, lead them towards. So I'm not going to provide this perspective, prescriptive, like, you know, this is the go-to strategy for blackifying yourself or diversifying mm -hmm. yourself. But <laughs> yeah. I think for me, it's um, leaning in on like my, my, my character. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a, there's a big issue, not a big issue, but like there aren't enough, enough black people playing tabletop role-playing games. And so mm -hmm. um, there's a place here in Minneapolis called um, uh, Black Table Arts. It's a, it's a, it's a writer, writers and, and, and protesters collective um, it's, um, that formerly didn't have a building, but now they have a building and one of the more um, uh, racially homogenous and, and, and wealthy neighborhoods in Minneapolis. Huh. Um, but they have a building there and they literally only offer membership to 
Black people, and their express goal is to promote Black stories. But they also provide opportunities for people who aren't accustomed to these stories and in, in, in delving into those topics to um, kind of associate themselves with like, you know, or kind of familiarize themselves for, you know, what, who are, what's a Black writer? Like, how do I get, how do I promote other young Black writers or young Black people to, to write more? And for me, working with them and going there and having membership there and then just like talking to other people there um, and then spreading the word about um, initiatives like that is, I think for me, the best way to associate and, and kind of associate, but like really spread the word about that stuff. And I think- um, That's awesome. Yeah, I think other people could, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other examples of that too, um, that I think people can spend the time to, to research and delve into. Yeah, yeah. Um for so so there's resources like that and I imagine there's similar resources in other places but probably not nearly enough of those yeah. <laughs> um but <clears throat> maybe on a personal level like if if somebody doesn't have access to something like that like do you yeah. have it like like what would you tell them to do you, like if you've got another black writer right that wants to come out and they want to write a setting that incorporates maybe it's another part of um another piece of African history and they want to do mm -hmm. kind of a similar thing to like you did, like, what would you tell them? Like, what, what's the, what's the strategy? <laughs> like, uh, oof. um, yeah, I think, um, mm, that's a good question. It's, that's a hard question to answer. I think blanket blanket responses, you know, for, for, for black writers seeking to do this, something similar, I would say, you know, talk to as many people as possible and get a lot of, get a lot of different varying perspectives. Like not only mm -hmm. people who are black, but you know, just like other people in general too, cause you never know where you're going to get inspiration from. And um, you also never know um, what stories have already been written in the past by, um, by, you know, people who aren't black will inspire you to write stories mm -hmm. that are uh, um, kind of, um, intrinsic to like to you to you and uh, I think a good example of that is um Jordan Peele did a series on on HBO's like Lovecraft Country you know like HP Lovecraft is a huge racist yeah um but in the first episode he had a, a snippet in exchange with this person on the bus and uh, the person on the bus was like you know hey main character you're reading that racist book like why are you reading that racist book and his response was like something to the effect of you never know how stories will inspire you you can reframe them how you want to and build make them your own and i i think in large degree i, I agree with that like i think there's yeah. a there's a lot of stories out there that you know are objectively well written and good stories that that people like like a lot of people like hp lovecraft a lot of people like cthulhu and like i agree like that shit's kind of cool but although like racist but <laughs> don't let that don't let that stop you right like don't let yeah. that inhibit like how you progress as a writer or progress as a person use that reframe it make it your own and then produce it and then tell other people about it i think that's the best way to go about it i love that i i love that that's very much a that's just like an empowerment message right like it's like don't stop yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> don't stop just if you want to tell a story if you feel inspired if you want to tell it tell it right yeah don't get discouraged that's the biggest thing is don't get discouraged <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that it's it's important to point out too that there are other people doing this so like you know yeah. if you're talking to oh. another you're talking to another black writer that's wanting to do another protest piece or whatever right and it's like they might feel like the most alone person in this struggle especially oh, if they don't have resources 100%. 100%. right 100 
Yeah. Hundred percent. But yeah. but you but you're not alone. There's people like Trey out here. There's people like on Twitter all over the place doing cool <laughs> shit. Like even yeah. if it's in other areas. So like like I just want to say like my advice to other creators: don't feel alone. If you want to do these stories, not only like do it, make it happen. But like you're not alone. There's other people out there, even if you don't know. You know, if you totally. don't have like an organization to go to for support, like <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think um, if I didn't have other works of literature similar to mine to draw inspiration from, and then like you know associate myself with that information, I don't know if I would have followed through. Like I, I honestly don't know if mm -hmm. I would have followed through. It's, I would have just been like, ah, this is dumb. I'm not gonna do it. Like, ah, oh, this is like no one's paying attention. I'm not gonna do it. But um, I think talking to other people and, and kind of you know, using your resources to, to inspire yourself is, is, is definitely something that can't be overlooked. I love that. Um, okay, so kind of switching modes a little bit. Um, if you're not a creative person, so... Oh, you fuck. <laughs> yeah, you fuck. <laughs> you gotta be creative, baby. You gotta be creative. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, but, like, if somebody's not a writer, right, but they're like, I really want to support, like, these stories that are being told, but I myself don't feel like I can tell that story. What's your advice yeah. for them? Like, what? How, how can we best support you know, Afrofuturist stories and helping them come to the public and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I think uh, in respect to the experiences I had in like the Lancer community, um, I've ran to like a lot of like dope folks on um, PilotNet, which is like the Discord for Lancer. Um, mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of people there, um, there's some boogers, uh, but there are a lot of people <laughs> there who just share these type of stories and promote you and, and give you inspiration to, to dive deeper on it. Um, and I think for people who aren't creative and, you know, who, who do want to see these stories, um, you know, offering resources and then sharing the stories are, are great examples. There's two people in particular. There's mm -hmm. one dude I met on Twitter. Um, he was like, yo, um, I don't know if you need help editing or anything, but I am an editor and I... I can review your work and this dude was white and kind of like you know he was just telling me like you know how inspired and interested in how this work needs to get out and i was like dude like that's so dope that's so dope Aww. and there's this other other dude who's a professor of um um Afri african militaries who also was like yo like if you need anything i'm here i i don't want to impose on your space but like you know i'm here to support you and then um the other person in your household like you know, yeah. gave me a lot of, got me a lot of, a lot of <laughs> art and like, I, I think a lot of ways inspired me to, to do other things too. So I think, you know, not being silent and not just being an observer, um, that's the best way to support this mm -hmm. type of work. You know, don't, don't watch it passively because you don't know how much people are struggling to, to do this work unless mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you step up and ask, right? Like they could say, you yeah. know, and like, you know, I don't need your help, but like, it's good to ask. And I think, that applies to you know people like me and people like you too. Like mm -hmm. I could, if I see something, someone else writing something that's like a culture piece or a soul piece, I'm gonna do my best to inspire them because mm -hmm. that's what they need, and that that's what I needed when I was writing this writing the field gun. That's so good to know. I would I would also add to that, not being a passive observer. If it's a game, play the damn game. Oh, totally. Yeah, play it. <laughs> like, play it. Like, if you, I mean, I don't know, if you want to get other people interested in a thing that you think is cool, the best way to do it is to share it with them. 
Totally. And, and that's, which is exactly what you just said, right? Like sharing it, promoting it, sending it out there. But yeah. another way you can share that with them is if it's a game, like play the fucking game and bring other people into play with you yeah. and, and spread it that way. Like that's just another, plus exactly. it's fun. Like it is fun. Games are fun. <laughs> games are, games are fun. Wow. Wild. What? Most profound statement of the day. <laughs> I know. So, um, which kind of raises another question for me. So like, you are the content creator. Um, so this mm-hmm. is your baby. And mm-hmm. there's a very particular way that you intend for people to interact with your world, I would guess. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 But I wouldn't say it's anything different from how Lancer is structured. Okay. So so where I'm going with this is like, okay, I'm going to use the word caucasoid because like, that's my favorite mm. white person term right now. So like, if you're a caucasoid and you're coming into <laughs> the field guide to Infocane and you're like, all right, <clears throat> I need to make a character. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Do I make a white character and play as like a guest in your setting? Or like, would you prefer that I make like a black character so that I can get that experience or like, like what's, <clears throat> what would you want to see people do? Um, or does it matter? Yeah, I've had experience. I've had experience with both, and the the racial makeup of your character, who your character is, doesn't mean anything to me. What means is what means something to me is like the thought and 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 soul you put into it. So like, there's been a couple of characters on. Um, so I run also run like a stream for like one of Lancer's uh, first um, campaign settings. It's like no room for a wildflower, but. Mm-hmm. One of the players is playing an Infocani character um, who happens to be black. And uh, before, like, he, we actually started playing. I was like, yo, dude, like, you know what you're doing, right? He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, um, well, tell me what you're doing. Like, what, what were your thought process behind, like, making this character? I'm not telling you not to do it, but, like, tell me what your thought processes were. And he came up with a really compelling story um, mm-hmm. about, you know, how, you know, he sees, um, like, how, he's, how he sees um let me see how the best way to phrase it he used the inspiration from the place that where he lives um to mm-hmm. kind of culminate that into a character that that addresses those those concerns so like racism in, he's from canada racism in canada um he used a character he was like what's the best character i could ever make that combats racism that happens to be black and that's the story he told me and i was like yo like that's dope like <laughs> that's dope all yeah, right like, all like, right you can, you can you can you can do it i mean Right. The obvious things are like, you know, don't make a character and don't use um, like black colloquialisms. Don't, you know, demean the, you know, the, don't, don't do that. Don't feel like you have to do it. If you feel like you yeah. have to do it, then you, you probably don't need to be playing with me. Like you should want to do it and you should feel inspired to do it. And there should be a lot of rationale behind that. And so, yeah. Yeah, you could come into the setting with, you know, whatever, an alligator. I, don't, I mean, okay. You, like, you, you, you have reason behind it? And that's yeah, okay. yeah. Like, I'm the alligator that was like, I don't know, I survived the the meth gators of the, the subway, and <laughs> exactly. now I'm here, and yeah, I'm ready to pilot a mech. Uh, and... <laughs> you survived Florida. That's what I is. survived Florida, and that's why I'm here today. Oh, my God. <laughs> On. Uh, that's that's so good to know though because like for me also as like somebody who wants to play these kinds of games um I'm an outsider in that space really like I'm I'm not I don't want to say I'm not the audience but like it's mm-hmm. not really for me in the same way that it's like for you right and mm-hmm. and so like as, as a player I want to be sensitive to that so like it's good to know that like 
right? Your intention matters. We've talked about that already, but like your intention matters, your rationale and thinking through it and probably talking to the GM about what they're comfortable with. Definitely talk to the GM. That was a good lesson to know and the other players. Good lesson. (laughs) Love that. Love that. Um, so on that note, actually, uh, I, I think it's time we got it. We got to pull this to a close. Um, no, we got to wrap it up. Um, so I want to invite you. Are there any like final thoughts or advice or comments or anything you want to say to whoever's listening out there uh, right now? Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, touching on the, the last point you said, like, you know, there's a lot of these works of you know literature in the tabletop gaming community out there that focus on specific cultures. And don't feel afraid to delve into that. And don't be afraid to learn something. Um, mm-hmm. Don't don't hide behind the wall of like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, this seems kind of confrontational. Like, I feel uncomfortable with this. Like, dive into it and immerse yourself and come in with good intentions. Um, and I think that's literally the only way that us as people are going to learn and, and, and diversify our, ourselves and our minds, like, you know, from now till whenever, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to be uncomfortable. Like it's important to be uncomfortable. It's a very essential skill you need to learn is to be uncomfortable and then thrive in uncomfortableness. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Uh, I also would just add for my final comment, because I always like to get the last word, um, <laughs> your, your supplement. So it's available already on itch.io as a beta, right? basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm soon releasing the non-beta. What do you, what do you call it? The non-beta, the full, yeah. full. The, yeah. Yeah. That thing, that thing. Is yeah, that, that what thing. they call it? Oh God. I work in production. What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to drop a link to the itch.io on, um, in the show notes. So it'll be there. Awesome. Whoever wants to check it out. Um, the beta is set to pay what you want, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but you don't have to give me any money. It was just, it was just for like the art. Um, so yeah, I don't, no, I don't, I don't need any more art right now. <laughs> He's like, I've already paid all my artists, exactly. and I don't okay. care about paying myself. So this is where we are now. But um, so yeah, if you if you do want to contribute to it, or if you at least want to check it out, I really encourage everyone to check out that itchio link in the show notes. Um, and, and as well as just promote any, if there are people making games in this space that, uh, that kind of scratch that itch for you or give you something different, put that out there in the world, promote it. I encourage all of you to like, get on your social medias, retweet that shit. Totally. Like, I don't care what it is that you do. It doesn't have to cost you anything, but a second of your time. And, totally. um, Important. you can already do a lot of work just with that. So, totally. <laughs> all right so um on that note then uh we are wrapping up replay for today trey thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about all Thanks, this Clara. i, I appreciate you. you oh oh <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be about me <laughs> <laughs> anyway i really appreciate your time and uh we'll, we'll i'll talk to you soon awesome thank you Thanks for listening. You can find episodes of Replay and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Replay is a VMG original and is created, hosted, and produced by Clara Mount. The show is executive produced by J.B. Adams and Gerard Mitchell with sound design by Aaron Trinka and original music by Bison. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite media channels and check out 
Scott Bison's other tunes on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. And if you want more Clara, check out my Twitch channel, The Real Bubblegum Titan. Extra special thanks to all my listeners for hanging out with us today. Keep on playing, and remember, you're always welcome at this game table. Thank you.